All right, Bethelcasters, here it is. A goddamn tight-ass commentary to a motherfucking great-ass movie. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Get your DVDs or media files queued up to zero. Get the subtitles going. I'm gonna count you down. No intros here. And we are gonna have a great fucking time to this great fucking movie. To quote the great fucking Kevin Smith. All right, countdown's about to start. Don't get left behind. Three, two... One, play. Oh, mama. Ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the Bizzle's commentary for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. It is Friday, March 24th, 2017. I haven't been this excited to do a commentary on the day of release of the of home video released uh, digital, I should say, since I think Creed about a year ago. Creed came out late 2015. I did it as soon as it came out early 2016. The Martian as well around that time. But I, I, I remember even the first time I saw this movie being excited about the possibility of doing commentary. And for some reason, they, they wait, you know, six to eight months with the Avengers movies to release them. But thank God with the Star Wars movies, we haven't had to wait that long. Rogue One is a movie. And um, I'm just going to let this f- prologue, uh, prelude or whatever play out. It's beautiful to watch. There's some great touches. It sets up the backstory quickly, uh, quick, fast, and in a hurry. You get you immediately get a sense for the different color palette and tone of the movie. Um, but it was quite predictable, um, if, if a necessary evil. Um, and is really my least favorite part of the movie, only because I love everything else after this so much. So I'm going to talk a little bit uh, broadly about the film. And then we're going to get into it post the not great title credits uh, in music, which lasts two seconds, so who cares? So when Rogue One was announced to be the first standalone movie, I was absolutely thrilled. I know some people weren't and still aren't because they felt like they knew where the story was going, like with the prequels. And one of the annoying things about the prequels was that George Lucas didn't really uh make anything clearer ab- about the Star Wars universe we knew in the prequels he actually made everything muddier and harder to understand um and <laughs> i think people had similar concerns with this movie but this movie does tell a totally unique story that fits completely within continuity and explains some huge character and plot holes or just questions that we've had all these decades uh, most especially about the death star uh, and its weaknesses, which we'll get to later. Um, uh, uh, but uh, this is really touching. Um, and as we will see, it leads perfectly into A New Hope. I, I believe this, I mean, not here, obviously, but once we flash forward to modern gin and company takes place, they say days. It seems like weeks or months, uh, but certainly not long before the events of A New Hope. So here we have um, Mads Mikkelsen as Galen Erso, who's excellent in this movie, um, and Ben Mendelsohn, who's an awesome, awesome bad guy, uh, as uh, director Krennic, who is one of those sold-through performance on the page as a one-dimensional bad guy, but... If you read the the, uh, the sort of prequel, official prequel novel, Catalyst, um, I, I only got through part of it. It was quite good, um, but I read enough of it, or if you just read about it, uh, it set up this relationship where during the Clone Wars, when Galen and, um, uh, and Krennic were younger, 
Um, back then, it seemed like Palpatine was a good guy and on the side of the Republic and the Senate, which he would later dissolve and try and destroy. Um, and these two guys were, were buddies and, and working on the same side. Uh, and Galen was an energy researcher and didn't realize what his you know, energy uh, developments uh, were going to be used for, or, or at least what the intention of what they would be used for were. And you know what? Even if you knew nothing about this, the performance here and a little bit of dialogue completely communicates the past relationship that these two had. Where, you know, even while twirling his mustache a bit here, Krennic does seem genuinely a little bit uh, unhappy, <laughs> at least, of, of having to, to go through with this. He really wants Galen to come on his own, um, w- which is a little bit of a change from the normal Empire uh, modus operandi. Yeah, we were this close, right. Um, there it is, peace and security. You know, The Empire normally doesn't care whether you come, ac- uh, come along willingly or not, but with this exchange and then the one later where Galen has to admit that he's been a traitor and Krennic kills the scientists as revenge, he's clearly hurt that Galen backstabbed him, even though he should have seen it coming. There is a bond here um, that these guys used to be buddies. And this is just two veteran actors just absolutely killing it in a scene that I could have written and scripted. Um but little touches like the Death Trooper uh, finding the toy um, uh, Stormtrooper. Oh, there's a gun. Uh, the, the toy Stormtrooper that I guess little Jin was playing with because, you know, this is, this is the fulcrum time here. This is just after the Clone Wars, I think, uh, where the Empire is fully revealed trying to become an evil empire and not just a new, uh, you know, a twisted version of a new republic. This never made total sense. Like, it seemed like they would have planned what was going on here. I guess Lyra has a change of heart, and she doesn't feel like their faint is good enough that they're going to find the daughter. And so, yeah, boom, they just shoot her. They shoot first. Um, but this, the footage, uh, let's put it this way. The, the, the color scheme here already is way more reminiscent of a war movie. Um versus your normal, you know, fantastical, uh, you know, Star Wars or family sci-fi kind of vibe that we get in, like, The Force Awakens, for example. I don't think young um, Jen talks at all, but she's got a great look. And as Felicity Jones joked about in interviews leading up to the movie, you know, they cast this girl for her teeth because she's got the big front teeth, buck teeth, as Felicity Jones calls it, that Felicity has that, that are absolutely adorable. And they do, they do look quite alike. No question. Um, as usual with my commentaries, I apologize if the sound leaks through because the dialogue is often like, you know, a hundred times quieter than the loud action in music. So back to my excitement about this movie being made. The reason I was excited about the movie and ultimately the reason I loved it and it spoke to me so much wasn't the specific story as cool as it was to be like, oh, this is the story that they just briefly mentioned about this, the rebel spies who died to get the Death Star plans. Uh, that, you know, that story on its own is super cool, but it was 
you know, if you listen to my podcast, I always talk about how movies that I, I end up loving to the point of watching over and over again and just becoming sort of canonical in my own life. <laughs> Child. Love Forrest Whitaker. Um, he's so great. And this is Saw Guerrero. It gets better with each watching. But, you know, it's never the plot, you know? I mean, you know, a lot of movies that I love, you know, do have super cool plots. Like The Martian, for example. But there's no doubt in The Martian that he's going to escape. There's no doubt in Creed that he's going to probably either win or get close to winning the final fight. You know, there's no doubt in Age of Ultron that they're going to, you know, ultimately defeat Ultron. It's the journey of how you get there. And... So for me, this was very liberating, or it seemed like it, it potentially could be very liberating for the director and the writers and even the actors that we knew not just where it was starting, but where it was ending, but we didn't know the, the details in the middle. And so it was going to be the character studies and, and the, the dialogue and the mood and the effects, of course, which we'll get to, that you could really just focus on that. And against all expectations, they actually gave us a, a surprise ending. Uh, not in terms of, of what happened, but who we see and how it's framed. Uh, we'll get to that. You know, They took us so close to A New Hope. Um, it was amazing. Uh, and, and the final Darth Vader scene, um, I, I will save that for later. So here is Cassian Andor, played by Diego Luna. This character is, for me, one of the all-time classic Star Wars characters. And he gets better also with each rewatching. But I loved him immediately. Because this is really a way more realistic portrayal of what a uh, you know, deep shadow uh, agent of the Rebellion, especially in the early days when they were first getting their shit together, would be like a guy who would kill other people in order to save the, the higher cause, but feel horrible about it, you know? Um, this this character actor here is amazing his sort of speech impediment and he's kind of a little crippled and so you know it, it forces Cassian to kill him to protect the overall mission this guy's kind of panicking and losing and there's just little touches in Diego Luna's physical performance th- that really hit home harder every time um, we'll see after he kills him up here, the look on his face, and uh, you know, it comes full circle in the end uh, when when Cassian is admitting to Jin that he does feel horrible about the stuff he's had to do, and he's not even sure that he was doing the right thing. But this was such a great way to start the movie after that that opening scene that we could see coming a mile away. So something that's kind of implied. Uh, we don't really get Cassian interacting directly with Saw Gerrera, but Cassian, in terms of his mindset about being ruthless, is more in the Saw Gerrera, boom, kills a guy, his friend, or at least a, a, another good guy. Look look how sad he is. I mean, the, the guilt and shame are just weighing on him so heavily. He's sneering at himself. So good. I think this is actually launching Diego Luna into a lot more roles. He, you know, he was very acclaimed, rightly, in Itumama Tambien, Alfonso Cuaron's first great uh, movie in like 2001, across uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, and I forget the, the lady's name. One of my favorite movies, certainly one of my favorite uh, foreign films ever. Um, 
by the way, this this music is great. And all the concerns I had about the music after hearing the the very lackluster title were soon dispelled. And I actually think overall this is one of the better Star Wars soundtracks since the original trilogy. As much as I love John Williams, The Force Awakens, and even a lot of the prequels were very up and down um, at times. Although, I will say that the Anakin uh, Padme love theme, as over the top as it is, is is maybe my favorite romance theme in any movie ever. This movie doesn't have a specific theme uh, that stands out. Um, it makes you want to hum along, except for Krennic's theme, the sort of modified Imperial theme um, for director Krennic and the pre-New Hope Empire. Um, We'll hear coming up soon. But um, Cassian's really the lead of this movie, in my opinion. I mean, he's got the most screen time. He has the the biggest character arc. Um, he's the most complicated character. He's the leader. Uh, this is cool. The, the, the giant, um, almost like Rover type, you know, Mars Rover on steroids, uh, feels like classic sci-fi, like almost from alien, like aliens, aliens too. Um, but we'll get back to the effects. Here she is, Felicity Jones. I don't know what it is about her face and her eyes. It just it just sticks in my mind. And the the she has so few, you know, extended dialogue bits in this movie. That's part of her character. It's how quiet she is and, and disturbed. Uh has reasons to be so. Um she just plays so much emotion on her face. I know there were extensive reshoots. This is filmed like a war movie. Camera shaking all over the place. This is this is so great. I don't know if I saw this coming. Yeah, she immediately tries to take down her rescuers and escape on her own. Um, but her physical performance, both in terms of her physicality, boom, <laughs> and, and her facial stuff that she does. Congratulations, you're being rescued. This is when I knew. You know, I mean, we're 13 minutes in. It's been dark, 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 death. Bad guys winning. We know bad guys are going to be winning throughout. They're going to win in some ways at the end. You know, we need some some little bit of relief. And I actually have gone out of my way to not uh, research which scenes and lines were specifically reshot. Because to me, it actually does not feel choppy. Now, Matt, uh, my co-partner on Crossing Streams podcast and the Bristlecast, Matt, really didn't like the first half of the movie and felt like he could tell where the reshoots were and it felt choppy. I did not experience that at all, personally. This was way more coherent and cohesive. And any, like, uh, dialogue bits or sort of minor paradoxes and character stuff honestly could easily be attributed to just being a star wars movie i mean you're gonna get some wooden dialogue in star wars movies that's part of the genre it you know its own subgenre. you know it, it's controversial because th- there was this whole line that some people loved like me and others hated where she says i rebel and they took out that whole bit from here and people were angry that there were scenes in the trailer that weren't in the movie here's mont mothma who looks very creepily like the original mont mothma is a different woman um uh, I actually know some of the Easter eggs in this movie. So the woman who's playing Mon Mothma here, the sort of political leader of the rebellion at this point, um, was actually in Revenge of the Sith, but they deleted the scene. It was a council scene with a young Mon Mothma, and they brought back the same woman, which is really cool. Um, and I think one of the really cool things about this movie is because it is not too long after the prequels, in between the prequels and the original trilogy, it doesn't rely too heavily on prequel stuff, but it does incorporate a lot of the better aspects of it, or at least references 
that are important in terms of world building. You know, Force Awakens could just ignore the whole thing. And some people would argue J.J. Abrams went too far in making it his own and and not, you know, in the the sort of Star Wars tradition uh, enough. Um, This movie definitely does that. I mean, I know some people who thought this was too dark and without the Jedi and the lightsaber stuff and the Skywalker stuff, you know, that wasn't as good. I personally loved it, not just in spite of, but because of all those omissions and we could focus on an entirely new part of the rebellion and the empire and new characters that, you know, other than Darth Vader and some casual mentions of Obi-Wan and so forth, uh, it was a whole new pocket to fill our imaginations here. I I loved it. Um, Man, does this woman look like Mon Mothma? Um, but uh, I gotta tell you, people, it's <laughs> to think of footage in the trailers that doesn't make it into the movie as just extra footage that you wouldn't normally have gotten, and it's probably in the deleted scenes. I have the digital file. I don't know if it's going to be as part of the extras here. Um, I- I'm going to try and keep the meta commentary and the specific commentary going back and forth. I have a lot to say. So I'm actually res- been re- somewhat restrained so far. Um, I do like how quickly they they go from you know K2SO <laughs> close lining her and congratulations you've been rescued to you know going on the mission that's sort of a a faint you know it's kind of a a, a, a a fake mission or it's not a fake mission but you know she's clearly being deceived and there's l- different levels of deceptions going on. P- people thought this reveal was funny you know, the force music with uh, Princess Leia's adoptive father here, Bail Organa. I, I was getting chills at this point, though, because this that was the first reference to the first six movies and, the, you know, the, the extended uh, Skywalker Jedi stuff. Jimmy Smith's great, great, great small support role in this movie. Everyone, and this is one of the points I'm going to make throughout, and I just want to say for the first time here, look, look how real this is. They really built this uh, Ewing, as they call it, and they actually were jumping in and out of a real Ewing. It wasn't just CGI when we see that happen a few times later. Jumping right into the plot, but this movie does something that no other Star Wars movie has ever done, which is give real meat both in terms of dialogue and actions um and action scenes to side characters to secondary and tertiary characters i mean the you know the rebels on scarif that are with them at the end are ultimately cannon fodder but they're all cannon fodder they all die and the rebels are very heroic and before they die the rebels do get some great lines and especially some great action bits um you know, even just the crew here of the U-Wing that we haven't assembled everyone yet. You know, we had Bodhi Rook, um, the, the turned Imperial pilot, and obviously Chirrut and Baze, fan favorites, is already bigger than the usual, you know, three or four plus a couple droids that we tend to get. I love, this is great. He doesn't even notice that she has a gun until later. When does that happen? Maybe it happens here. It's like, I found it. <laughs> So there's a lot of great K2SO lines. <laughs> Why did you get blessed? I know. Uh, you know, a lot of people's favorite part of this movie, other than Vader, was K2. The legendary Alan Tudyk, a Firefly fame and elsewhere. Um, nailed it. As I was trying to get to earlier, I think they added some K2 humor. And if that was a big part of the reshoots, then they then it was absolutely necessary. <laughs> I find that answer vague and unconvincing. Uh. Right, trust goes both ways. 
Yeah, look how tormented Diego Luna is. It's great, you know. He's already unhappy. At, he knows he's going to have to lie to her multiple times. You're letting her keep it? Yeah, this is great. <laughs> you think he's going to give a number probability? It's high. It's very high. <laughs> uh, yeah, K2SO, he's got like the the uh, kind of prissiness, a little bit of C3PO, but he's got the grumpiness of of r2d2 and you know chopper and the star wars rebels we'll get back to the rebels star wars rebels connection here the the very good disney cartoon that takes place around this time and there's some visual and other references oh yep, there's the guy in the tower on yavin 4 you know the exact same shot of when the millennium falcon flies in uh in the original star wars movie boom there goes the ewing um the weird synthy Sagorera music works great with just how bizarre and twisted this whole environment and situation is. And uh, really the only weak CGI in the movie is the, is the uh, tentacled mind monster, which, you know, they're still having problems at Disney with, with texture, with alien skin textures. Like, well, whatever, who cares? But, um... Yeah, K2SO takes the best of the other droids, but because he's a reprogrammed Imperial droid, you know, he has some of the uh, the ticks that the Imperials have, but, you know, it's like he he's almost doubly self-aware because the droids are already pretty self-aware for creatures that are essentially slaves. But him having been reprogrammed and knowing he's reprogrammed, I mean, that must be such a trip, which I think informs his his dark sarcasm. God, great acting here. This guy's amazing. I mean, it, it is a really slow burn early on in the movie. And I talk about how in a lot of great sci-fi, comic book movies, genre movies, the middle act is often the best. I mean, the Avengers, the middle stuff, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy in the prison, Avengers on the helicarrier, it, you know, getting a, a non-cliched opening and then... It, finishing off an epic are both really really hard so if if there are you know three main acts in in these epic movies even the best ones is usually the middle part that's the best and if there's weaknesses it's at the beginning and the end this is a movie that gets better and better as it goes along has a very non-traditional act structure it's hard to even break it into five acts it's really just a lot of scenes uh which can be exhausting because it is a non-traditional experience for movie like this and I actually enjoyed the slow burn of the beginning because, you know, the tension of wanting a release is building up in your brain as it builds, as the momentum builds in the movie. All right, so this was very controversial to some people. Um, well, it was controversial in conception that they would do a CGI Tarkin with Peter Cushing having uh, passed away quite a while ago. It was obvious to me. I had heard rumblings that there would be something like this, so I was prepared. But having played a million video games, I could immediately tell the CGI. My dad had no idea. And I've heard tons of stories of people of my parents' generation who had no idea. Unless they knew Peter Cushing was dead, or else they thought they found, they found a lookalike actor, that they had no idea that it was CGI. And while CGI Leia, spoiler alert, at the very end... Um, some might say it's better. Some might say it's worse. This was much harder because he's walking around. He's right up in people's faces. 
they talk about the dead eyes problem if you've ever played video games with the animation mostly looks really good like an uncharted or um the last of us uh which has some of the best character um character cgi work voice um and image um it's really hard to get the eyes to look like real eyes. And so they actually used an actor and then put uh, Peter Cushing's digitally uh, modified, uh, or Christ to say, recreated face over the actor. And it works pretty well. I, I, I appreciate the balls. The problem is this has opened up a can of worms that people have been, um, have been worried about forever. Okay, really quickly. I love this little flashback. Because this, this, if you don't, if you haven't read the Catalyst novel or even you know read up on what went on before this movie in terms of this relationship between Krennic and Jin's family, this little flashback of of him and in the Imperial uniform and being happy and being Ben Mendelsohn as Krennic looking less evil and buddy buddy and they're having drinks because everyone was still idealistic and the battle lines I don't think have been drawn. Um, quite yet there's a kyber crystal uh which is related to the jedi and powers lightsabers and channels the force and so forth um there's a great piece of world building there that you didn't need and to do it in in a real quick dream sequence um i'm a big fan of dream sequences where you know it's a dream sequence and they're not just trying to fool you because it makes it harder to make it relevant and interesting and i love that one especially because you get to see her mom again who looks much younger even though it's the same actress i think they just made a younger actress look a lot older the older lyra at the beginning yeah she's she's already penetrating his soul without her knowing it um uh, cassie and that is um but uh yeah i mean you know the fact that they, they digitalized, digitized Carrie Fisher, and then a week after the release of this movie, she died suddenly, and then there were rumors that they were going to use CGI Carrie Fisher going forward, which they've denied, and I don't think they're going to do out of respect, but it certainly is an issue that it, when we get even closer to making cgi characters look like real people you know do do we then just need voices and we don't get the performance from people i think we're a long way off from that and i think the limitations of the peter cushing (laughs) look like here uh tarkin shows those fault lines and that we've got a ways to go before we have to worry about you know full out replacement of human actors with uh with digital actors Um, so back to Felicity Jones being beautiful. She just has such a relatable look to her uh, in a little bit of a Ray kind of thing. But while Ray is very like sweet and cute and just adorable, there's certainly a sexiness uh, to Felicity Jones and she's a model and you know, she looks gorgeous at all the award shows. And, um, in fact, she tends to dress very kind of staid, you know, she's not all into like showing skin and stuff like that, which I think is even more sexy. If you're sexy and confident, you don't need to, you know, be showing off as much of your body as possible. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of leaving things to the imagination. Um, but like with Scarlett Johansson, they need to do a little work. <laughs> he just drops the bag. They need to do a little work to make her an action star with, with her curvaceous body. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's all communicated with her eyes. 
So the Borgali thing here, you know, doesn't look great. Uh, not really necessary. Um, might have been more scary if it was a human or humanoid thing that was sort of brain raping him. Um, but what it does do is allow this character to become more dimensional, mostly through Riz Ahmed's excellent performance. He's, uh, you know, clearly a rising star, nominated for all sorts of stuff for um, Night Of on HBO, was great in the most recent Bourne movie, by far the highlight of that mediocre movie. Um, but as just a scared Imperial pilot who's now kind of losing his mind physically a little bit, um, it does provide some, you know, some workaround room uh, for him to, uh, you know, kind of explore the character a little bit more. Um, but this is this is where the movie really takes off. I, I think a- a- anyone can agree. And if the first half hour feels a little slow or clunky, um, if you're not in it after this extended scene uh, on on Jedi, up oh, here they are, the guys from the original Star Wars movie. You try to pick a fight with everyone all over the galaxy is awesome. Um, th- one thing that is cool about this is there are a handful of Easter eggs like that one that even casual fans of Star Wars uh, might pick up on. You know, it's not all like super deep, uh, you know, deep dive uh, mythology type stuff. So um, th- this is you know a, a ancient you know super big Jedi temple. Uh, it seems obvious to me that Jeddah, or I should say that Jedi comes from Jeddah or vice versa. They don't explicitly say it. Um, and they eventually demolish this planet as a test of the Death Star, uh, kill Saw Gerrera. Um, it, it's, it's interesting that, I mean, this seems like such the place that, that a leader of uh, the rebellion or, or, or a leader of a rebellion, cause Saw Gerrera is on his own, um, is, you know, even more radicalized than sort of the mainstream rebellion that he would pick this planet of all planets, uh, makes sense mostly for the plot. Um, although it is also the way to, you know, I, I, to really shove it to the empire. And, and that's why the guardian of the wills here, um, we see with, uh, Chirrut and his buddy base coming up, uh, Chirrut who is blind and he's, uh, he can feel the force. Um, uh, one term that is confusing to me is force sensitive. I, I, I would describe him as force sensitive because that seems to imply a passive sensitivity to the force, which is indeed what's happening hardcore people will tell you that force sensitive is reserved for force users, but that seems to me we should just call them force users or Jedi or potential Jedi. So he is sensitive to the force, whether he's force sensitive or not. And you know, they are sort of guarding this ancient holy place that that was the source of the Jedi many thousands of years ago. Um, and it's just a quick aside. There's a great series of comic books from the the nineties that I guess aren't part of Canon anymore about the history of the, the Jedi, the beginning of the Jedi and the Sith thousands of years ago, I think would be an amazing standalone movie or a series of standalone mov- uh, movies that, that could take them out of this time continuum where, where all of our stories are being told. Um, you know, Dune, it, takes huge ginormous uh time jumps in it to show you know h- how epic the scale of geological time is it'll be interesting to see if they um decide to pursue that at any point um 
in the Star Wars series. So this is children of men stuff, you know, tanks coming around, refugees, you kind of have an impending sense that there's going to be an uprising. They know it. The bad guys know it. The good guys know it. Everyone's going to get blown to smithereens, just like at the end of children of men where they nuke the place at the very end. Oop, just got super loud. Uh, but to pull off this level of violence throughout the movie, but especially starting here, uh, in a Star Wars movie, uh, is very gutsy and very impressive. And uh, I've praised Kathleen Kennedy and the folks at Lucasfilm at Disney before. Uh, they seem to either be willing or able or both to take more chances and be more edgy with, with these movies than with the Marvel movies for whatever reason. Um, friends of mine in the film industry or just in the know uh, tend to credit Kathleen Kennedy and think that Kevin Feige is a little bit of a dictator at Marvel, and that might be why the Marvel movies uh, haven't taken as many sort of tone uh, and theme chances as maybe they could have. And while the X-Men movies have been inconsistent, the really good ones, especially the recent rated R offerings like Deadpool and Wolverine, have been better... uh, or at least you know more adult complicated interest philosophically interesting than anything we've seen from the marvel cinematic universe there was no way this movie was ever going to be rated r by the way he just killed one of the good guy rebels in order that the bomb wasn't going to fall on jen i love jen shooting the shooting the trooper in the leg as she runs by she doesn't actually do a ton of fighting in this movie which i think is great that she can have a you know a very um, distinct uh, physicality, but it's manifested in so many ways other than just, you know, shooting, uh, uh, shooting a blaster similar to princess Leia. Um, yeah. I actually said that even though Ray is sort of the spiritual successor to, or I should say Daisy Ridley's a spiritual successor to Carrie Fisher and being, you know, the main female lead of the anthology movies um, or the saga movies, whatever they call it. Um, and uh, whoop, not that way <laughs> uh, and you know even though we don't find out that leia has force powers until jedi you know that they, they both have force powers there is a connection between them we see that in force awakens it's possible they're related this is great she takes all those troopers out by herself boom here we go <laughs> everyone gasped briefly and then was laughing their ass off of this k2 gag where she shoots the other imperial droid <laughs> look at look at her response yeah of course God, is she good. English actors are better than American actors. I, I really, you know, it, it's amazing, the per capita ratio of, oh, here's the grenade. <laughs> Look at her. She is funny. I, you know, people who don't like Jid, I don't understand, you know, which is allowed to be funny and quirky, and, you know, she, she just totally nails it. Um, and, and again, uh, uh, oh, but back to um, the, the, the Leia-Carrie Fisher comparison, um yeah so ray may be a skywalker she may not be so in that sense she's inheriting the mantle of princess leia um but just in terms of on-screen performance it's clear that felicity jones is more similar to uh you know carrie fisher in the original movies especially in <laughs> there's a fresh one if you mouth off again um especially leia and empire and um and Jedi, because, you know, she was fully a woman. She was really a girl in the first movie. She's fully a woman in those movies. Just in terms of her combination of, of sexiness, but not one that's distracting, and the fact that she uses her, her femininity 
uh, as an empowerment tool um, into that she's sort of sassy and has kind of an attitude at times, isn't going to take shit from anyone. Just just her personality and just overall look and feel, I, I, I felt like just in the trailers was the case and even more so uh, seeing the movie that, that – you know, that Jin reminds me of Leia more than Ray reminds me of Leia. Here we go. Here it is. Boom. Kung Fu Jedi stuff. You gotta love it. Beating up stormtroopers. Blind guy with a stick. Is your phone right? Uh, you know, uh, Donnie Yen here, who, who's, who's you know famous in the kung fu world. I, I had seen him before. I wasn't so familiar with him. He's way older than you think. I think he's in his fifties. He's he was doing stuff like this in the nineties. Um, does all these stunts himself? Obviously, that's a big reason why he was cast. Um, he's actually very flamboyant uh, and sort of cocky in a lovable way in real life. And uh, on the press tour, you know, he kept talking about how people would ask, you know, how did it feel to be this badass character? And what was the experience? Like, oh, he just shoots him in the head. Um, and he just kept talking about how he had the best lines. He was like, I, you know, he was very self-deprecating way. He's like, I don't really have to do anything when, you, when you've got amazing lines like I do. You know, you just kind of roll with it. Um, you immediately buy those two as sort of adoptive brothers. It doesn't matter that they're both Asian. That's not where the connection is. But I like that they didn't shy away from it. Um, so the story of these two and then Bodhi Rook, who they're going to meet up with soon at Saw Guerrera's, played by Riz Ahmed, I protected you. Um, uh, Wen Jiang is, is uh, Baez Malbus's actor's name. Oh, this is this actually. I think maybe got the biggest laugh. As great as as yeah, we're no friends in the empire. Uh, as uh, as great as the the K two lines are, th- this gag coming up with with uh, with Charut just killed every time. Here we go. Here comes the sack. Are you kidding me? I'm blind. I can almost guarantee that was a reshoot line because it does feel a little out of place. But, you know, it's Star Wars. You need it. You know, and while J.J. went a little bit over the top with this sort of cutesy humor, I think this movie benefited from a second pass uh, with some with some humor added. And I'll give it to the makeup team and the camera team and the props team and the continuity people and the director and the actors. I can only tell where the additions and reshoots are from sort of thematically you know and some of this kind of goofier humor that occasionally happens like we just saw um but you can't ever tell just by looking at it or listening to it 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 seems like it was all shot at once Um, but these days where they shoot movies completely out of order for the most part because of how complicated the shooting schedules are and flying actors in and out and all the locations and the money uh to do reshoots is it's really just like taking a break uh between the first time you make the movie and you know part two um which always happens or at least there's additional dialogue or they put you in the studio to redo some scenes or add it whatever there's a twilight dancer on the hologram um you know this is vaguely supposed to be i guess reminiscent of the cantina um a really jabba's palace you know it was important that they built up saw Guerrera as a menacing guy although you know, if you know anything about the character from the cartoons or just were, you know, watch the beginning of the movie where he seemed to be very gentle with her. Um, they don't oversell it. 
you know, these guys are rebels here. These are radical anti-imperial folks. Um, and the, the twist that, uh, that saws kind of losing his mind, you know, from the stress of, of all these years of unending warfare and tragedy and death is really realistic. I mean, that's the thing. Let's put it this way. I don't know anyone that really likes Star Wars that didn't like this movie, but it certainly split between those who thought it was, you know, okay or pretty good and people like me who loved it. Now, it helped that uh, they did a a premiere screening for non-traditional celebrities, like people from the Nerdist crew like Cardwick and Will Wheaton and, uh, you know, other people whose opinions I I trust on these matters. And they were so giddy about how great this was and this is the best Star Wars movie since Empire and blah, 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 blah. Um, And, uh, you know, I think it sort of has to do with which tone you like and which of the original movies you like. Now I do say that my favorite is return of the Jedi just because that's what I grew up watching the most because it had so much action and adventure. Um, and you just leave with such a happy feeling at the end, such a satisfying feeling. You get the lightsaber battles, you get the space battles, you get the Jabba stuff, you know, you get the Yoda stuff. It was just the most satisfying to watch over and over again. Empire though is undoubtedly the, the best of the original movies from a dramatic standpoint and a writing and directorial standpoint. This is a great exchange here. This is where a lot of people like this uh, scene the best for Jen, and I, I think Felicity Jones kills it here, of course, culminating in her crying, watching the message from her father. Um, and if, again, if you don't relate to Jen after this extended sequence, then you don't have a heart. <laughs> but anyways, like Matt, uh, Matty G, he likes the original movie. He likes the hope of it. He, he likes the idealism of it. He doesn't care that it's cheesy and, you know, cliched at this point and whatever, you know, he likes that hero origin story stuff. I'm sick. I'm sick of the origin story. I love that there was an origin story here. As much as I love the force awakens, we to go through multiple origin stories again in that movie. I like that this is a middle chapter, the same way that Avengers Age of Ultron was sort of a middle chapter and was had a choppy axe structure as a result. Did they send you? Here he is. It, it's fun to guess what he's inhaling. It's probably just oxygen, but his mood does sort of change after he takes that, that input of breath. I'm not the first to comment on the fact, right, she's really trying to reason with him and not act like he's crazy, even though he seems to be losing it. Um... Also, Forrest Whitaker looks different in every movie, which is just amazing for a guy that's so distinctive looking. Um, this is one of his handsomest. I have to say, I love the wild hair and the, and the you know, the, the salt and pepper beard. Um, but, uh, you know, clearly the, the, there's a connection with Vader. I mean, he looks like it's like an alternate Vader suit without the helmet. It's not a coincidence, but he's so different from Anakin Skywalker. Um, you know the suspicion it's different i mean anakin is evil as he becomes as darth vader it is idealistic in a way about you know how the greatness of the empire and it's truly the best thing for the galaxy and so forth saw is a pure realist and that has caused him to go kind of crazy because of the 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 failure after failure after failure of fighting such a mighty foe mighty and devious foe all right here we go it's an interesting choice to break up that scene. I don't think I was consciously noticing it. So they don't even hold back the Death Star. Why? We know we know it's there. 
it's upside down, which is just, you know, reminding us that in space there isn't an up and a down. So sort of the, the character twist, you know, is that Krennic believes in the project way more than Tarkin. Tarkin busts his balls, ultimately gets, I th- in a way, gets Krennic killed, with Krennic constantly trying to prove himself, ending up on Scarif when they blow up Scarif. He, he blows up Scarif knowing Krennic's on it, and then completely, <laughs> you know, takes over the project and claims credit for it in, in A New Hope. I guess he gets his just desserts when the when the uh, De- Death Star one blows up at the end of Episode Four. Uh, but I mean, Muff Tarkin was just you know a, a, a kind of scary bad guy in the original movie, but here he's just a dick. <laughs> he's a wanker. He's a big fucking wanker. Are you the pilot? So, I I really like that Gareth Edwards took his time building building stuff up because well, and it should be said this movie is two hours, maybe a touch over, and, and so I think he realized that you know once once they leave Saws and they head to to Galen and then the, the final Scarif battle and so forth it was going to be a breakneck pace for like you know almost a straight hour and so you had to build up the tension and get the world building going i've commented before about the planet hopping that they do all over the place which i love in this movie you know that we see so many environments so many planets here it is this scene's spectacular I mean, Felicity Jones has been nominated for Academy Award. Um, she is definitely that caliber of an actress. Daisy Ridley's amazing, uh, but Felicity Jones had a lot less to work with in this movie, and it's really the power of her performance that makes this character, for me, truly three-dimensional. And that's why it's so sad when her and Cassian die. I mean, so sad when they all die, but, you know, with them just you know having a little bit of a budding romance maybe and then it's all over um here she is she's about to start crying she's looking at nothing i mean they're just putting blue light on her face it probably helped that forrest whitaker was maybe standing there for part of all of this as kind of actor moral support but she's certainly not looking at the actual hologram i don't think i lied this is it. This is it. This is not even a retcon. This is just an explanation. How, how does this huge, powerful Death Star have such a glaring weakness? Is that it was intentionally put there by a builder that was forced to build it, that didn't want to build it. Who's her dad? Connects her into the wider universe. Connects her family directly to the Death Star, to the story. Going forward, look how smug Ben Mendelsohn is here. It's great. I mean, the, the 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 logistics of this movie just add up, you know, going to each location, there's really a reason for it. It's not like, oh, here's Han Solo. You know, the, the most convenient thing is that this all happens on Jeddah, and she happens to find Saw and see this message right before the whole thing's blown up. But you know what? That's Star Wars. That's movie making. And, f- and just for this performance from from Felicity Jones, um, and, and by the way, Matt Mickelson, you know, I mean... <laughs> 
I, I've talked about the greatest expositions ever. One of the most entertaining is for sure Benicio del Toro at Guardians of the Galaxy explaining the Infinity Stones. But from a purely emotional standpoint, especially with the backdrop of the Death Star and all the horror and impending doom and, and, and the impassioned message, you know, I mean, these two actors don't actually interact face to face until his dying breaths but you completely believe it with that up. Oh, she drops to her knees. Like she's almost going to throw up. Oh, it's so good. I mean, there's just something very cinematic about this movie in a way that I don't think the force awakens was even, um, I guess the force awakens really felt like a JJ Abrams movie that happened to be a star Wars movie. Whereas this feels like a different take on star Wars, but I guess I haven't seen a lot of Gareth Edwards, but this, this isn't a movie that's calling attention to the director other than just the amazingness on screen, if that makes sense. You know, people make fun of JJ for the lens flares and for certain shots that he does. And I, I happen to love all that stuff with JJ. I mean, the Star Trek reboot, as you guys know, if you've been following, uh, you know, listen to my Star Trek commentary on nine reboot. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, definitely my favorite JJ movie ever. But this is a film that did not have to reboot. They could just focus on that stuff. We're going to kick the staff to him. We're going to free the pilot. He's going to come on board. We don't have time to think about it, you know? That's the best adventure stuff, where you get people together that don't know each other well. You, have to, you create situations where... Oh, they almost kill each other. I always forget this. He thinks about killing Saw if Saw, if Saw does something right he recognizes it and this is another great thing about cassian is we learn more about him and he learns more about himself based on the interactions with the other characters you know bays and cherut and true especially have a sense that there's something off about him uh yeah save the dream uh forrest whitaker saw guerrera at first is defensive of Jin, but looks at cassian and immediately trusts him once he sort of gets a sense of him and how he's interacting with Jin, i mean all these character things are communicated throughout the movie with very little and sometimes no dialogue and that works for some people more than others it really works for me oh it's beautiful again in lesser hands would just be pure mustache twirling ben mendelsohn awesome awesome star wars villain in this movie um So what they do with Felicity Jones is they they give her really baggy shirt and scarf and jacket. Uh, she's kind of bouncing all over the place. <laughs> Sorry, Felicity. It's a compliment. You're beautiful. Um, but, uh, you know... Uh, Daisy Ridley has that Keira Knightley type figure where where she she's beautiful, but she's very slim and slender, and her body's just tight, and you know it's just easy for her to sprint all over the place. You know she looks like an Olympic runner. Does uh does Daisy Ridley the way she runs around? Um, people like Scarlett Johansson and uh, and Felicity Jones, it's it's a little more difficult. That's just the reality of physics. Sorry, people. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they give such drama to Saw's death, but because of his connection to Jin and her family, and then if you watch Star Wars Rebels, which you should, people, if you like Star Wars, watch the Star Wars Rebels series, 
he has a great two-part arc. Now, he was introduced, not with Forrest Whitaker's voice, in The Clone Wars a few years back, which I I'm never really got into that first cartoon. The Star Wars Rebels cartoon is much more interesting, and it's very connected to the events of this movie and the original trilogy. Uh, there are some major Star Wars Rebels Easter eggs coming up later in this film. Uh, oh, man, it is beautiful. Krennic's right. It's beautiful in a twisted, dark, evil way. Um, but uh, there's a great two-part arc with Saw Gerrera that takes place sort of a few years before this, when when he's just starting to lose his mind. Um, and it, it runs into the Rebels crew on uh, Geonosis. I won't go into that now. This is a nice little uh, semi-red herring where where uh Tarkit gives him a backhanded compliment and all Krennic wants is the emperor's approval and it makes him kind of sniveling in weak and Vader calls about on it in a little bit yeah yeah it's funny i mean what's great about this dynamic is you know what the empire does is just take whatever it wants from anyone who's not the empire or who's just within the empire and has something they want they just take it you know they just use they're usurpers usurpers they just usurp everything so to watch them usurp one another is really quite great and and that's actually the, the most illogical thing about the evil empire is that the evil empire in reality one that could be sustained over such distances and for such amount of time would have to have some smiling faces to it you know because if everyone was just backstabbing everyone else there'd be no way to maintain the kind of the level uh, and complexity of order uh, that the emperor seems to have over the galaxy although when I mean, you take this into continuity with the original trilogy they 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 never really do have control of the situation they're just able to assemble extremely powerful armies and fleets um and, and we still don't know what really happened between return of the jedi and the force awakens because there's still remnants of the empire the rebellion clearly didn't win and uh you know what makes the story especially tragic is of course there's the first death star and then another death star and now we've got the first order and the future um, but these people are just doing what they can to, uh, to try and make things right. I, I really thought they were going to make Bodhi, uh, Rook, um, played by Riz Ahmed. Uh, look how unhappy Cassian is. I love it. Um, I really thought they were going to make Bodhi, you know, almost a little comical. Like I'm losing my mind. I'm going to have some broad humor, but he gets over it pretty quickly. And so that makes the earlier torture scene maybe a little unnecessary. Oh, right. He says, I'm Bodhi the pilot. Yeah, so he's still sort of coming back to himself. Um, everyone everyone other than Chirrut, I think, you know, is lost in some way. Uh, in sort of a metaphorical or metaphysical way, I should say. Um, and that's why Chirrut, uh, and in a weird way, K2 are, are sort of the grounding f- uh, forces within the team. Seems pretty late to me. The hour is late. Nope, they call it the Death Star. So, 
they say they don't have the actual message. They don't, they don't quite believe her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He doesn't quite believe her. Although he does say later that he does believe her. I think he believes her now, but he knows that his superiors aren't going to just take her word for it. You know, she's just a, she's just like a uh, street rat or whatever. So, you know, what's there's not a single American accent on this entire crew, right? I mean, she's English, you got the Asian guys, he's Mexican. Riz Ahmed's uh actually I think Riz Ahmed in real life has a pretty straight up American accent, but he's Persian. He's speaking with sort of a Middle Eastern take on a English accent and even Alan Tudyk who's obviously American throwing a little a little English uh uh, spit <laughs> um, into uh, K2SO. Yeah, the whole, like, when they can and can't communicate doesn't always add up, but you need it for the, the drama of the rebels killing her dad. Um, and that's what makes her sacrifice at the end, you know, ultimately even more admirable than it would normally be, is that... The rebels, in a misguided way, result in the death of her dad. Now, it's possible her dad was going to die anyways. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but, you know the, the bombing of the, the X and the Y-Wings here in Edu is what kills her dad. And she is angry about it, but at some level she must understand where all this paranoia is coming from. So the whole I'm with the force, the force is with me, they're clearly building towards a payoff with it. It wouldn't just have them saying it over and over again all the time. But the payoff's so great that, you know, you just, I personally, I never want to stop him hearing him say it because it, with each time he says it at the end and then, and then days and the final moments just gives you chills, right? There's the percentage from the droid, 26% chance of failure. <laughs> But he says we're close, and that increases the chance of failure. Up uh. oh, there goes the Ewing. Do they get another Ewing later? I can't remember. Oh, they they sort of yeah they get reinforcements in the form of a Ewing. I think they they steal an Imperial freighter here. The, the 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 looks that they get on these actors and even the inflection of their english accents yes it's more multicultural than the original trilogy which was clearly the right thing to do and they had to do it but that being said it really feels like the late 70s with the costuming and the lighting and just the types of, of faces and figures that they get in the rebel alliance everything on yavin 4 feels straight out of the original trilogy. It's so hard to pull off. So, um, in real life, yeah, in real life, um, sorry, I just love watching these guys. In real life, Diego Luna's accent is indeed this thick. But he can he can tone it down when he wants to, 
for certain American or English roles. But he made a conscious choice with the blessing of Gareth Edwards and Disney, apparently, to maintain that thick Mexican accent. And I know that that was a source of pride for a lot of Latino people. Um, I mean, even though he's a bit of an anti-hero in terms of starting kind of dark, he's really the ultimate good guy because he does things he doesn't want to for the cause. And then he finally reaches a point where he he can't go on with the... you know, with backstabs and, and sabotages and, and so forth and embraces the, the, the sort of pragmatic idealism that, that Jin is offering um, and just, you know, putting himself on the line in a way that's going to accomplish the mission, but also probably compromise, you know, his life. It's ultimately so heroic. The leader of the team what a great role model oh, for young for young Latino kids. And, uh, you know, I mean, after all of these years, uh, you know, with all the action heroes, yes, Ellen Ripley and Alien is really cool. Yes, Sarah Connor and Terminator 2 in particular is cool. You know, it's not that it's never existed, but the fact is Princess Leia, Rey, and Jin are three of the best female action heroes ever, and they're all Star Wars, so... And this is what science fiction can do, you know? You don't have to explain that women are as powerful or more powerful than men. I mean, the two leaders of the rebellion in the original trilogy essentially are Leia and Mon Mothma, you know, both women. Um, Jin, you know, Jin is the bravest um, of them uh, in some ways. This is great. I'm going to follow Jen. They really form a bond. It's a beautiful thing. Um, it, you know, he, he identifies, I didn't point out, he identifies her with the Kyber. <laughs> He's got the Ghostbusters vacuum cleaner thing going. Here's a little talking to self by uh, K2. Yeah, I'm casting it back, leaving without them. Um, you know, he, he senses the kyber crystal around her neck early on. Uh, and they never say anything that she's, like, specifically strong with the Force. But what this movie introduces, which has always been implied, especially when they talk about the Force is everywhere, it's all around you, it's in all of us, you know. But Luke is kind of killed with the midichlorians, where he made it into a purely genetic thing, uh, is that... You know, the force moves in mysterious ways, just like God, the mystical version of God works in mysterious ways. And if you take sort of a mystical approach, you know, she's sort of an instrument of the force. And so, you know, the the literal interpretation is that he just could smell kind of the crystal around her neck. But the more important implication is that, you know, she is an instrument of of good for the force and for uh, for the galaxy. Yep. These... They keep increasing the wingspan of the various shuttles. Is great. Um, I I play. I dabble in the Star Wars X-wing miniatures game, and it's getting out of control with the number of ships and how big they are and how complicated the game is. You know, I liked it when it was a little simpler. But that I think they call it the Epsilon shuttle, or is that I can't remember if that's Kylo Ren shuttle or this one. But these black shuttles with the huge wings that they've been using are, are very effective because they make no sense from a physical standpoint. Okay, so coming up, there's a bunch of really old scientists that come out that, that then get killed. I, I'm curious as to why they chose a bunch of old white guys. 
uh, as the scientist. I think that's like a fantasy conceit, you know, like how all the senior wizards are in Harry Potter and other fantasy, you know, uh, books. All the senior wizards are old white men. Um, is maybe what they're going for here. You know, in our society, the tech geniuses are like in their twenties. I really like the way Ben Mendelsohn plays it and how it's written. He never suspects it was Galen. Now, how do they know? I I totally forgot when that um, knowledge comes out. I guess the escaped pilot, uh, Bodie Rook, everyone kind of hears about that. The Alliance hears about that. The Empire hears about that. I knew what was going down here. I knew they were going to shoot them, no matter what. Cool scope. You know, it definitely feels like a Call of Duty scope, but with the the Star Wars aesthetic. I mean, you know, I I just can't say enough about Diego Luna. I mean, uh, you know, Felicity Jones is awesome. She's a badass. She's funny when she when she gets to be. She's super sexy easy to watch in every way imaginable and a great role model for for little girls um but really for anyone but especially little girls but diego luna is the heart and soul of this movie and uh it's not like he got second billing i I mean from, from you know he did get second billing in terms of being the second person on the list after felicity jones and she's the huge picture on on the poster and there's still a problem of only having one strong female character i guess we got mon mothma too and a couple pilots uh but still mostly men why why can't we have some secondary female characters it'll be a topic for another time (laughs) speak of felicity jones being awesome uh that looked like a cgi thing that with the trooper she takes a gun and trooper falls off i love that look you know it's like uh it's like uh summer glow and uh, Firefly, which puts on the goggles at the beginning of Serenity when they're going on their mission. That, that little helmet with the goggles is just so adorable. Look at her. She really looks like a little girl there. That's what I like about it. You know, she's never quite matured. She's never gotten over the childhood trauma. And because of the world around her, she's never quite matured. This counting thing that he does is so effective. That feels like a Ben Mendelsohn thing that Gareth Edwards was just like, Go ahead, dude. You're a fucking legend. <laughs> um, it should be mentioned, Gareth Edwards, J.J. Abrams, Ryan uh, Johnson, who's doing episode eight, all the various uh, directors that they've been getting are in their, you know, basically in their, their late 40s, early 50s. Like, the, these were all, peop- you know, dudes that were, like, kids when the original movies came out and they saw in the theaters and blew their minds, you know? And so we have a whole generation of, of directors who got into filmmaking basically having seen Star Wars as a kid. Boom, here we go. Speaking of Star Wars as a kid, oh, X-Wing action. Oh, man. I didn't realize we were going to get to this early. I knew the huge battle on Scarif was going to be amazing, but to get this uh, this X-Wing, Y-Wing stuff uh, mid-movie w- was just such a treat, even though you're going, oh, no, this is so misguided. They're going to kill the good guys. Father. So, yeah, some people didn't love that it was a no- daddy issue thing again, but... 
because he's a good guy that's just forced to do bad things it's really not the same as vader or you know the the other stuff that we tend to see in these movies um and because the relationship is so convincing i mean you know luke luke and anakin never share a moment until anakin's dying breath at the end of return of the jedi you know anakin never knew his father Uh, i guess his father was jesus (laughs) the midichlorian version of jesus this is a really, you know, Ray. we have no idea what her family issues are. Is it Luke? Is it Obi-Wan? Is it someone else? Is it Ezra Bridger? Shout out to Adam Dietz, who's convinced that Ezra Bridger and Sabine Wren from Rebels are the parentage of, uh, of Ray. I'm Ray. My family. <laughs> uh, she's adorable as Daisy Ridley. I cannot wait for episode eight. Oh, the no-look shot. That's definitely a Hawkeye tribute, I think, from the first Avengers. Um, yeah, guys in the control tower, that's like the shot in Return of the Jedi, the Super Star Destroyer with the A-Wing pilot who's about to blow up kamikazes right into the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer and lights it up like a giant candle. This is so Star Wars. It's so Empire. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. (laughs) The Force Awakens, most similar to the original Star Wars movie, almost too similar, many would say. One of the reasons me and Adam Dietz in particular like this better than Force Awakens is because it was just sort of more original. Um, even though it was a story that we thought we knew already, we definitely didn't. Force Awakens is so heavily modeled on uh, and you know almost dripping too heavily. It was a tribute to the original movie. This is the Empire. Um, tone wise uh although it's it's possible that episode eight being the middle one and being ryan johnson who's known for being a dark science fiction guy and just a dark writer in general writing some amazing late season breaking bad episode uh, episodes uh that that could have an empire strikes back feel as well there's rumors that ray is gonna have more of a dark side than we think you know i i don't think she's gonna turn out to be an all-out bad guy but that would be hard to sell um but you know when when you're an extremely powerful force user you know, it, it's like paul Trades in dune he never had a choice he was he was always going to be a messiah and he's tormented by it his entire life you know these characters they're heroic because they go above and beyond they don't have any special powers yes they're kind of good and crafty fighters and they're smart and they're clever but you know they're they're not super powerful beings who are sort of destined to, you know, be great and do great things. Oh, this is Bay's just mowing down guys. It makes you wonder, you know, why they can't do it more often. Um, now, stormtroopers are still bad shots in this movie for the most part, but because they had the black death troopers who just don't even miss, it kind of balances out a little bit. And, you know, and when you have uh, six heroes against an army, you have to have the bad guys be bad shots. Yep, you're a rebel now. This is great. Yeah, I love it. I mean, Billy's always been a rebel. It's interesting to think that would be one thing I I would go back to the Catalyst book. When when did Bodhi start turning? Was he sort of a project that Galen was working on? You know that sort of thing. So, you know, one of the 
sort of subtexty themes. Uh, oh, this is great. The darkness, the destruction, her coming to terms with her father. Cassian's get continually more pissed. She calls him out on it. Is that what ultimately turns him? Is that, oh my God, look at that death stare. She's, the, oh, she's about to give him the death stare. Oh, man. Um, she should be so bitter about her father. But it actually is the thing that triggers her idealism. And he's so bitter, but he sees her not give in to the bitterness and the hatred, which is the dark side, essentially. And that inspires him. You know, it was only after the fact people say Cassian seems to turn around really quickly before the final battle. But if you're really following his arc and, and the way that she's affecting him, it's it's very effective without having to be spelled out. There, there's so little to tell. Everything is show in this movie. And, you know, if that's a little too subtle for you, then that's fine. I had orders, orders that I disobeyed, right? You would understand that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He's had to make bad decisions, but because he's had to make decisions. And he's saying, you've never even had, right, we don't all have the luxury of deciding when and where we want to care about something. And here's his entire backstory in two sentences. Some of us live it. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. Boom. That's all you need to know. Oh, Diego Luna just killing it with the intensity. They have great chemistry. They have really good chemistry. Um, I mean, Boyega and Ridley have great chemistry, too. And they're, they're doing a slower burn with that because they have too many movies. But, I mean, sometimes in TV shows and movies, you get the sense that with the camera going back and forth, you're not sure if they're actually talking to each other or not, even if they are. Here, you know it. I mean, the pheromones between these two... The brilliant thing about the Boyega Ridley casting in their dynamic is that you could see them being <laughs> look at Baze or uh, yeah Baze uh, stretching out. He's like, I don't want to deal with this. Um, you know, with Boyega uh, and Ridley, with with Finn and Ray, it could go either way. It could go friend zone. It could go brother sister. It could go romance. These two clearly have chemistry right from the beginning, um, but. In a brilliant touch, they justify his turn to being a truly good guy and, and going on the rogue mission with her. Um, you don't even need the romance t- to have it make sense based on the dynamics that they set up. And, and you know the fact that he's feeling something for her certainly adds to the layers of, of intrigue and complexity. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the relationship and the situation, but, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say, in some movies, it's set up completely as, oh, here's Vader in the recharge tube. Some movies it's set up as, I have a crush on this girl, so I'm going to, you know, fight with her, whatever. Um, Full stop. Here, it's it's so multi-layered, the motivations um, and how they change. And it has to be because, you know, Bodhi's a convert to the rebels who is decided to risk his life to turn against the Empire, who he's worked for. We know that Baze and, and Cherut have spent their entire lives protecting the, the light sides of the Force to the extent that they can. 
Uh, K2 is programmed to be good, if sarcastic. And so, you know, the two major players are the ones who are the most ambiguous in terms of their morality and ethics. And that's how it should be. So, this scene is actually not needed, especially given the final scene. Now, when I saw this scene, I didn't know the ridiculous awesomeness of the final five minutes that, that we're going to get to eventually with Vader being as Vader-y as Vader's ever been. Uh, so at the time I was actually, I knew Vader was going to be in it and I was fine with this small role and I figured he would be in the fleet at the end, just sort of overseeing things. And I was fine with that. Um, it is James Earl Jones. The voice sounds a little weird. The movement of the body, it's clearly someone else. I, I, I think the, the original costume was so heavy that it, it, it um, forced the, the body actor of the original Vader, who I'm blanking on right now, uh, to have a very heavy gait. This Vader is a little bit more mobile. Um, there is no Death Star. Right. They're lying about it. Yeah. The thing is, Krennic ends up being somewhat sympathetic in this movie, only in the sense of, you know, Vader and the Emperor and Tarkin and everyone just pushing him around in ways that seem irrational even for the Empire. Like, they just are fucking with him. They really don't respect this guy. Oh, here comes the choking. They really don't respect this guy. Then why, why does he have so much power and responsibility? And he does have that sort of almost younger brother complex of, you know, always trying to impress the older brothers and resulting in uh, hasty actions and ill-conceived choices. I think that they put in that scene just to break up uh, the main storyline a little bit and just continue to develop Krennic's character. And this hit, here's the squabbling council members. This is great. Okay, Admiral Raddus, I love. I know he's just an alternate version. Let me turn this up a little bit. I know he's just an alternate version of of uh, of Admiral Akbar from Return of the Jedi. But what's great here is that the calamari are so ready for a fight. You know, and you think it's just we need someone to be gearing up for a fight in the council, so we'll give it to the calamari. But nope. We we think it's dead. This whole idea of fighting back is dead after this council meeting. But even before Jid gets the rogue squadron together, the Calabari are up in space preparing to launch an attack of their own with or without the council support is, is awesome. The fact that, you know, it's a very Mass Effect-y thing I like in Star Wars that the humans aren't the most advanced in every way. That the Calamari have the biggest and most powerful ships in, in the Alliance, I think, is is really cool. I mean, in Mass Effect, you play a human just because it's more relatable, but most of the people you interact with are aliens, and many of them are, are smarter or just more ancient and more advanced and more powerful. And this this is be so easy to be super corny. And yes, it is sort of the pump-up speech, uh, but it actually works in its favor. You have the swelling music, and then they're like, mm, nope. <laughs> You know, because this is this isn't her, this isn't her key skill is giving pop up speeches. She's doing it because she's inspired through the passion of you know losing her father and and so forth. Uh, 
but you know she ends up inspiring the, the grunts and the grunts end up being the ones who I mean that's the message of this and what makes this a truly a war movie is that it is not the generals and the admirals who end up being the real heroes it's the every man who fight and give up their lives on the ground who end up being the real heroes that's why she needed to be a, you know a, among of the people not a princess like Leia or a Jedi like Luke Jimmy Smith acting his ass off so Bodhi's there, right? So why is Bodhi the only one from the crew that's there? I guess he was there to confirm the story, insofar as he, what he knew of the story. Oh, here we go. Is this the part where she takes Chirrut's hand? <laughs> you don't look happy. They prefer to surrender. Yeah, she wants to fight. Yeah, they're ready for a fight. The force is strong. Another great line from Chirrut. Yeah, they yeah they've already they've already collected the the rogue squadron. This is great, and this is one of so many brilliant touches in this movie, is that they're going rogue from the rebels. That you know they're not just a rogue against the empire. They're they're, they're rogues against their own people who who are too cowardly to do anything. Here it is. Here's his turn. And if you've been watching the emotions on his face and, and the, his internal struggle the whole time, to me this completely makes sense. Right. Some of us, most of us, done terrible things on behalf of the rebellion. This is the first time in Star Wars they've really complexified the two sides, you know, where it's not such a fine line. People on both sides are, are being asked to do and pressured to do things they don't want to do. Right. Every time I walked away from something I wanted to forget, I told myself it was for a cause that I believed in. Right. This is the cause. And if they're not going to fight now, then it's not, it hasn't been worth it. And she's inspired by this. I love it. The, 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 I'm telling you, the physical chemistry, the pheromones are just flying between these two. I, I felt that immediately on my first watching. Um, and some people are like, oh, they should have made out at the end. No, you don't need to. You know, if, if you have to force characters to kiss and do stuff like that or to convince you that relationship's there, then you've failed. <laughs> It'd be cramp weed fit. Uh Riz Ahmed. Love him. <laughs> yeah. We could go. Let's do it. Okay. I like how understated it is. Yep, we're gonna do this. Uh and you know, and so there's two major things we learn about the rebellion in this movie that we didn't know beforehand. One was that there were rebels even more radical than the rebels being uh Cassians on hand too. Uh with Saw Carreras, you know, far left extremists or whatever. And Oh, look at this interaction, the way they circle each other. I'm not used to sticking. Welcome home. I love that line. I talked about that in my one of my reviews of the movie. Welcome home. That's so romantic, you know. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's friendly, but it's also romantic. Welcome home. He's also talking about welcome home, like welcome to the rebellion. Like when K2 says to Bodhi, well, you're a rebel now. Um, but, uh, so we, all right, so we learned that there's far left extremists with Saw Gerrera, and then, we also learned that, you know, the rebellion was initially pretty cowardly when faced with imminent defeat, and that uh, the bravery they show at the end of A New Hope fighting the Death Star, it wasn't just that they had the Death Star plans, it was that they were they knew they could win a battle against great odds because they win one here. Affirmative. <laughs> uh, yeah, best intro of a movie title ever. 
this is impossible task for Riz Ahmed to, to do the Rogue One delivery. It, not in a cliched way, but he nails it. Rogue? She's like, what? What? Rogue One. <laughs> Rogue One. That's what, that's what makes it. Rogue One. There is no Rogue One. Well, there is now. <laughs> okay, too. He looks so real. I mean, you never don't think he's there. Or I should say, you never think he's not there. All right, people. So I'm going to have the volume a little bit higher for the rest of the movie. There's the shot again of the tower and Yavin 4. Love it. Right. I like that Mon Mothma, she seems weak in the council, but then as soon as she gets a chance to talk to, to Bill or Ghana, they realize they need action. Right, your friend. They're talking about Obi-Wan. I love this stuff. I'm honestly just the French horn playing the 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 French horn playing the force theme lightly in the black but lightly in the background giving me chills. I would trust her with my life talking about Leia. Oh yeah. Rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. I love you. Oh, yep. So so while this is all going on, the Calamari are gearing up the fleet for a fight, too, without telling the, the main council. Okay, so this is straight for Return of the Jedi, when they fake the access codes to get through the shield or whatever, as Harrison Ford does. Uh, actually, Harrison Ford does it in the Death Star in the original movie. Um, have a nice day, or whatever he says. Uh, and then in the Return of the Jedi where Luke feels Vader on the ship as they go towards Endor, and Luke goes, I shouldn't have come. I put all, you know, all your lives at risk, and Han's like, don't be, you know, don't worry, kid. It's, it's going to be fine. It's just your imagination. So yeah, I mean, stealing bad guys' ships and using them to infiltrate, I mean, it's just one of those conceits you have to believe. And with, you know, this being a Dune-esque scenario and having very powerful and fast starships, but limited communications and, and com- you know, uh, computer technology, things like smuggling and espionage would seem to be easier to pull off than in our actual technological future, or even present. I mean, terrorists in the Middle East and so forth have have penetrated uh, more pheromones. Oh, man, it's flying. (laughs) Uh, You know, terrorists have infiltrated before, um, you know, U.S. military bases. But I don't know if it's ever been like they stole a tank, you know, or a Humvee or something like that. It'd be interesting. It's a beautiful image. So the question is, why don't they put shield generators around all their planets? So there's even though this answers the Death Star question of how was it so relatively easy to blow up and how did they know how to do it is all answered in this movie. A couple of things aren't answered. One, why don't they use the shield generator technology around all of the planets? Now we know in Return of the Jedi that there's shield generator from the planet around the Death Star uh, or the moon of Endor, I should say. Um, but the bigger question is, even though this thing here where the information is gets destroyed and even though Krennic dies with everybody else on the planet, how Tarkin wouldn't deduce that they were getting the Death Star plans and why doesn't make total sense. Now you could say, I mean, it's definitely hubris. Um, 
Right, here's Cassine being the leader again. She's the moral leader, though. Or she's become it. Something about that uh, that ridiculous eyeliner around her eyes is just really <laughs> appealing. It makes her eyes look ginormous. Yeah. I mean, they just make her look so haggard and they just dirty and scuff her up. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's true. As great as Leia is, Jin and Ray are, you know, are, at least apparently on the surface, just poor peasants, basically, you know, or, or growing up in that environment from the masses. We'll find a way to find them. But the, the line about the next chance, the next chance, the next chance I, I, is great. Look at Jira. He's always moving around and making funny faces. Oh, man. Donnie, and God bless him. But these grunts aren't just cannon fire and red shirts. I mean, they are red shirts, but it's, you know, it's, it. yeah, get the troopers away from us. They're all red shirts, even the main characters. That's the whole point. It's a suicide mission. So I'm trying to remember when I knew, quote unquote, that they were all going to die. I had predicted, and you can listen to my podcast well, well, well before the, even like the major trailers came out. When I heard, you know, I thought that they would kill everyone, but I didn't know if Disney really had the guts to do it, especially the lead characters. But I was not surprised. I was saddened, and it affected me way more than I thought, having been prepared. But I wasn't surprised, and I was just super impressed with Disney pulling it off. There's so many classic shots in this movie. Look at that out the window. Everything feels super practical. You know, JJ totally brought back the the practical tactile elements in The Force Awakens. They continue it here. Look at this. Beautiful ship. Convenient that there's one short person in all black who may or may not be a woman so that Jin can fit in that costume. <laughs> yeah. yeah, We've seen the Rebels pull that trick before. Ah, uh, that shuttle is beautiful. Um, so anyways, so maybe Tarkin knows even that they stole the Death Star plans, but if he didn't know that there was a structural weakness of that significance, you know, he just uh, out of kind of ignorance mixed with hubris, you know, wouldn't be as worried about it as he clearly should have been, <laughs> and he dies because of that oversight. I believe, again, there are spies that find news of the second Death Star for Return of the Jedi, the Bothan spies. Many Bothans died. But that was just finding out, like, there it wasn't that there was a special plan, uh, or like, a, you know, a special port with the second Death Star. It was, they didn't even know that it, it had existed. It, they were, the Empire was hiding it. Here they were open about it, and they learned their lesson to a certain degree. And then the Emperor uses it, and this was one of the many brilliant things of Jedi, the Emperor uses the fact that it looks half-built and the Rebels are, are being fed false information that it's not operational to lure them into a trap. Ultimately backfires on the Emperor, obviously, but not for the reasons, any reason he could have foreseen with, with Vader turning. I love that little ground car there, going through the jungle. Clearly, clearly Vietnam uh, heavy influence on the terrain, how it's shot as a war movie. Um, 
the sort of hectic nature of it, not knowing where the shots are coming from. You know, in, in ancient warfare, the sides would just line up and go at each other. But in modern warfare, you know, it's it's a 360-degree environment, which makes it you know, even more horrifying than it normally would be. The eye lines are perfect with K2. <laughs> Diego Ludo looks fantastic as a uh, Imperial officer. He is a stud. You know, but there is something very kind about his his eyes, Diego Luna. And when you hear him interviewed, he's the sweetest guy on the planet, and that helps sell the turn. You know, I, in the reverse way, I always talk about how they really miscast Anakin Skywalker in the prequels, not only because Hayden Christensen's a bad actor, but because they should have cast a likable actor, which would have made the turn to Vader more tragic and more interesting. Instead, they picked a punk, a guy who looks and acts like a punk which is a way less interesting turn to the dark side and makes Yoda, Obi-Wan, and everyone else look even more foolish for thinking that they could ever make a, a good Jedi out of Anakin Skywalker, but whatever. I wonder how he- I mean, that looks so heavy. What's on Baze's entire apparatus with the suit and the vacuum cleaner thing and the gun? Yeah, this is a brilliant plan. I love it, you know? And they start calling in, like, areas where there are rebel incursions, where there aren't rebel incursions. Very similar to the blowing up of the, the shield generator and, uh, and Jedi. I think that was the other big thing for me with this movie, was that, you know, before this movie, maybe still, but before this movie, the space battle at the end of Return of the Jedi was undoubtedly the best space battle ever. Love Serenity, Guardians is great, but in terms of just feeling like you're really out there in three-dimensional space with practical models and the stakes of it, I could, even today, I can and do watch The Return of the Jedi Final Space Battle. Well, all parts of the Final Battle, but especially the Space Battle. To me, it has always been and remains the gold standard. This might unseat it just because it takes so much of what was cool about the Jedi Space Battle and adds, you know, 30 years of new technology um, and so forth to it. But uh, there is something great about the release of the whole thing. Now, the structures are different because you do get the big adventure scene early on in Jedi, and then it sort of cools down for a little while, and then there's the, the giant final scene. Yep. She looks, by the way, she looks like uh, like Shredder or like some ninja with the eyeshadow and that and that mask covering her whole her whole head. Boom! Come on. I like that. Just visually, they really focus on like six, seven, eight, nine, ten of the of the grunts, even if they only have a couple lines. That you do start to feel somewhat attached to them more than just red shirts. Are we blind? he's great he's a little speech impediment it just makes everything better uh ben mendelson is australian in real life uh once you know that you can kind of hear it in his accent but at the time i thought he was just english i think uh i love the khaki uh the khaki stormtroopers you know very fashionable very practical okay so there's a moment when the carnage, the carnage of the good guys, get, gets going here. Um, 
Boom. Oh my god. Like sheep to the slaughter with Baze's gun, Chirrut with the crossbow. Oh yeah, baby. I don't know how they make that TIE fighter noise. Hasn't changed in 40 years. God bless them. Has it really been 40 years? Yeah. It's 40 years this summer uh, since the original Star Wars. Okay, so Tarkin here looks amazing. When he's not having to walk around and it's not a super close-up, it, it's very convincing. They kind of sell it with over time watching it. Like each individual time when I first see it, I'm like, eh, and then over watching the movie, it works more and more. <laughs> it's funny because Alan Tudyk isn't a huge guy. And he doesn't play characters that would normally just normally just bash uh, someone over the head, but it's funny to envision him doing so, especially on stilts. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, I love this. L- look how 70s this guy looks. I mean, this is straight from the original movie. Yeah. There's a reason why, you know, Wheaton, Will Wheaton's like in his early 40s. He was like, you know, 7, 8, 9 when the original Star Wars came out. And his reaction to this movie was like, I felt like I was a kid again for the first time since I saw, you know, original Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. And, and you can totally see why. Uh, boom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here comes the carnage. Yeah. And, and they do stuff that you see in war movies, but you don't see in, in, you know, Disney movies where like one guy goes down and then another guy goes to save the guy, which is, you know, what you're supposed to do as a Marine or a soldier. And then that guy gets gunned down trying to save the other guy. That must happen in war all the time because it'd be your instinct to help your buddy, but then you're exposing yourself. This is great. I, okay. There was Chopper from Rebels really quickly. Yep. Here's 3PO and R2. So the only characters to be in all the, all eight movies. Like, they'll certainly be in episode eight, so that'll be nine. Uh, they do say General Sandula, um, Hera Sandula, is the leader and captain of the Rebel Ghost Crew in Star Wars Rebels, and she's now apparently a general, which is awesome. It's interesting to know who's survived this long. Yeah, the go- the goggles on Bodhi really really make it. I guess that's just to keep emphasizing that he's a pilot and also to remind everyone that he's is from the Empire, I guess. Pad two, pad two. Oh right, this is the the, the yeah <laughs> making a pad that probably don't even exist. It's beautiful, the scarif planet. Is this a moon too? So moon has to just do with the size of the planet. It doesn't have to do with the terrain, obviously. Endor is a moon because of its size. It, it looks like a planet with the forest. <laughs> this is great. They're holding the hand. Oh, I missed that gag there where it's not, they're like, it's not working. And he's like, the right hand. <laughs> you know, they couldn't do the cut out the guy's eyeball. Uh-oh, I remember when they showed this in the trailer. This is so cool. Oh, yeah. Because you think it's just the the ATSTs or whatever they're called, the ADATs, the giant ones, are so glorious. Now, weirdly, when you watch the Battle of Hoth um, in Empire and then the Battle of Endor in Jedi, the two-legged ones, uh, which we do see earlier on on Jedi and look fan- fantastic in this movie, look very herky-jerky, but these in Hoth in Empire... Boom! Oh yeah, baby! Oh, here's the space battle. Yeah, I was gonna say the four-legged walkers have looked great since 1980. Yes, I love Radis. So the guy who does Radis plays a ton of Star Wars voices. Is a famous voice actor, Blue Leader, Gold Leader. Okay, so that's from the original movie, the Gold Leader, Red Leader. I think also from the original movie. 
I don't know if I missed the shot of the ghost. I don't know if I've seen like been able to focus on all the Easter eggs that are going on. So I'm just going to focus on the main action. But it's, I mean, I saw it opening at my dad. I knew this was coming, but when they zoom in, like in Return of the Jedi, I just let out such a squeal. Look at this giant rebel fleet. And that's the thing. You're going, if they have this giant fleet, but then in A New Hope, a couple of years later, or, or you know, a couple months later, they have a tiny fleet. It's Yeah, because it's almost the entire fleet gets destroyed here, and the attempt to get the Death Star is so cool. So they have to build up a huge fleet. They lose almost everyone. Suicide mission. Those, these people are all going to die with the shields because they're closing it. Suicide mission, lose most of the fleet, barely get away with the plans and destroy the first Death Star, and then have to you know spend years building up the fleet again. Oh, no. Boom. <laughs> Sorry, Blue's leader. Your squadron's going down. I have to build up the fleet again for Return of the Jedi. This is so glorious. I mean, it's so clear that Gareth Edwards and company watched Return of the Jedi final battle a bazillion times. The, the way the camera moves is so dynamic. I don't understand why it's taken since 1983 for someone to, to nail it. Right. This is the we're trapped, we're never getting out. I, I think if you didn't figure out this point that they're not getting out alive, you know, I mean, I don't blame you <laughs> for maintaining hope. It's you know what uh, the thing is with between Tudyk's voice performance and the little uh, modification they did to his voice the computer effects, it was never too distracting that it was Alan Tudyk, even though I was recognizing and appreciating his amazing comedic delivery. Right. Yeah, they never deal with communications issues until now in Star Wars. It's so great. I mean, they're they're doing huge amounts of world building just through through the plot. Yeah. <laughs> It's not totally clear why they trust him flying a ship, but not with a, a, a pistol until now. Aw, sweet minute. Sweet moment between Jin and K2. Yeah, N- not a coincidence that K2 kind of starts, quote-unquote, falling for Jin, as Cassian does. Um, actually, that's what's so sad about K2's death, is, is Cassian's reaction. They clearly have been through a lot together. Oh, man, this is so great. Some people were like, oh, we wanted a much bigger battle on the planet. I'm like, are you kidding me? Fuck you. Oh, yeah. They showed this in the trailer. I'm glad they did, though, because it gets you so excited. But what they didn't show you was, uh uh-oh, we're fucked. Nope. Here come the cavalry. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, We saw X-Wings on the ground and... uh, and Force Awakens, but not take it down AT Walkers. Okay, so why don't why doesn't the Empire just destroy the tower now? That's really the main thing that doesn't make sense. They wait until the transmission gets to the rebels, and then they use the Death Star to take down that tiny, or I just said that tall, thin, weak-looking tower. If they're worried about them getting in the archives, just destroy it. This is a piece of communications exposition they didn't need, but again, with Riz Ahmed, just a- adds to the adventure aspect of it. And, and that's, I think, important. It'd be easy for it just to be a war movie. Not easy, but they could just make it a straight-up battle. But you need some adventure aspects. The Vader thing later is that, um, you know, the swashbuckling stuff, the planning, the scheming. 
Let's start probing that shield. Radis is great. He's he's more bold than Admiral Akbar. He's more war, you know, warlike. I mean, Akbar wants to retreat when they when the shield's not down and they first jump in a Jedi, and Lando has to convince him to stay. Radis is just like shoot this, blow up this, crash this, probe this. It's great. The calamari are total badasses. Who would have thought they could make fucking calamari into some of those militant badasses in, in film history? I think that weird little alien is the, is the Willow guy, who is also uh, Wicked the Ewok. Man, that looks real. I mean, you can kind of tell the ships are CGI over the people here. Uh, I'm watching on my computer. Uh, it looks so real in the theater. It's really hard to do ships on planet, and they've nailed it in the movies. There's a reason Lucas never did in the original films. It, it was just too, you know, just, I mean, the technology needed for the Hoth battle in 1980, which, which I think is people, I don't love as much as all people do, the Hoth battle, uh, but being able to pull off special effects on a white, you know, terrain, as opposed to just a space background, is apparently very, very, very difficult. Yep, that's the beginning of the end for K2. Um, you know, the, the the space stuff in this movie obviously overshadows almost anything in um, Force Awakens, but the Maz Kanata rescue is amazing when the X-Wings are flying over the water and, and the fog is concealing them. Boom. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're with you, Poe. I love that. I love Star Wars. That's what I realized. You know, I thought I was like all Avengered up. You know, Marvel uh, uh, seemed to be winning me over with with the Avengers movies and Captain America, even Guardians of the Galaxy. But in the last couple of years, with the two new Star Wars movies and some very lackluster, in my opinion, Marvel efforts and just. The studios seem to be going, even though they're both Disney, the studios seem to be going in different directions. Maybe it's just me. But uh, the, the the combination of sci-fi and fantasy is just irresistible with uh, with Star Wars. And, you know, because it's a galaxy far, far away, they're allowing them to get away with, with darker movies on the PG-13 rating um, than, uh, than the comic book stuff. They're still talking communications. What does it look like? The master switch. <laughs> oh yeah, the Ewing reinforcement. This is great. Uh, yeah, X-wing miniatures. This is like a special ability of the Ewings. Okay, so they really did this. I mean, that's obviously CGI, although it looks like it's completely there. Yeah, they actually jumped out of a real th- thing hanging there. I don't know how they did that. There's a famous story where Peter Jackson was on set visiting, and he told Gareth Edwards to just CGI in, and Gareth Edwards like, nope, we're going to spend days or weeks figuring out how to make this practical, and God damn it, it's so cool to see. You don't think about it, but troops jumping out of a hovering ship in a smooth shot when it was just flying. I mean, up oh, here we go. Here's Return of the Jedi stuff. Boom. He does work in a little bit of the crazier J.J. Abrams uh, camera movement, um, but to me, it feels against <laughs> another Nolik shot. It feels spiritually again more like um, uh, more like Jedi. Okay, so that ship there with the two wings that kind of fold over um, is called a Tie Striker. I have that model ship in my X-wing miniatures collection. Um, it is highly maneuverable. Um, is actually, you know, 
it's one of the reasons they're using it on the planet is as maneuverable as TIE fighters are, that ship can really kind of turn on a dime, even in, in gravity um, and with atmosphere. Um, and like Jedi, see, I love the Ewoks in Jedi. Almost no one does. It's not because of the furry cuteness or whatever, but because it does tons of character building and world building stuff and you know and it's funny and then being captured and almost eaten and then when the OC3PO tells them the story and uh, you know I don't know I, I think in retrospect the Ewoks seem cornier because Avatar and a million other properties copied it but uh, you know I really enjoy the, the the ground battle on Endor but you are in some ways waiting to get back to the the main storyline um, on the Death Star with Luke the Emperor Invader and then this the amazing space battle here's K2 they found it Stardust yep I knew I knew it was going to be Stardust but they said it just enough times in the movie so you could figure it out but it wasn't being rubbed in your face which you can say about almost everything in this movie I didn't roll my eyes once and I will say, on rewatching this movie, I think this is objectively a better movie than Force Awakens. I think it's more classic and more timeless. I think it's going to hold up a little bit better, especially because I think the saga movies are going to continue to get better and better. And J.J. Abrams had an almost impossible task to reboot the franchise and did like a 95% amazing job. Here goes K2. The first, it, it's fitting that K2 would be the first. Goodbye. Boom. Oh, he's dead so sad people were like gasping in the theater when this happened i think the force awakens is more rewatchable because of the lightsaber stuff because of the adventure stuff it's faster paced um you know it's building into the main skywalker mythology original cast harrison ford it's definitely more rewatchable than this movie in terms of like the number of watches i'll have done a couple years from now but this movie just feels timeless to me. I mean, this, you know, I, I, I don't think you need to have seen this in 2016. You know, Force Awakens, there was so much hype, made $2 billion. People saw it a million times. Everyone in there took their kids to see it. You know, this made a billion dollars, which is a lot of money. It's half what the Force Awakens made, but it's what they expected. They were thrilled with it. They should be. But this is, I think, in some ways, a movie that you're going to see on TV as much or more than The Force Awakens. Like, you'll see it on non-Disney channels. Like, this is the kind of movie on, uh, you know, you can definitely see, uh, like, airing on, like, FX or, you know, TNT or, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's a Star Wars movie for non-Star Wars fans, but if you just are so-so on Star Wars, but you like good dark war movies... Uh, here he goes. Then uh, I think this would work for you. And so I think it's really interesting that this was very highly rated by both Star Wars f- hardcore fans and casual fans. Um, and the people who are actually probably the least impressed by it were Star Wars fans who happened to like a certain kind of thing in their Star Wars experience. Lightsabers in the forest and hope and so forth. <laughs> Don't have much of that here. Up oh, here come the Death Troopers. Here it is. So the first is K two dying. Then we see some soldiers die. It's getting increasingly desperate in here. They're starting to undress, which is great, you know. Um, and uh, the Death Troopers are just going to start mowing down the rebels. So 
from here until the end of the movie, which is, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes away, things just go increasingly bad for the good guys, which makes the ultimate final scene and reveal that much more delicious. My dad hates heights. I remember he was looking at this going, holy shit, oh my god. Doesn't bother me. Yep, here's the adventure stuff, the Indiana Jones swinging around. Not crazy about this musical cue, but that's fine. That looks so real, the jumping onto that thing. I mean, it's just a... They're not that far up, obviously. I think it's just a green screen with CGI, but they are higher up than is is probably safe. Oh, this is where, like, one at a time, they start running out and just get mowed down. Oh, no. Boom. Dead. Oh, Jesus Christ. Right, so why are they going after these two in person? Why not just shoot down the whole thing? Maybe they think that they can salvage... Like, they need it, too. I mean, that's one of the conceits of Star Wars, I was saying, with the technological scenario. Oh, nice shot of her butt. (laughs) Um, Sorry, people. Uh, I'll try to keep it professional. You know, is that, uh, you know, things like physical media are still a thing in the Star Wars universe. They need to physically get it. And yes, they transmit it, but then it's put on, like, another flash drive or whatever. Here it comes. Oh, man, I'm getting chills. Right, you know, he's, you know, he's, the death troopers miss him just long enough to hit the switch. This is so classic. Look at, look at Diego Luna with his hair and and flowing around, shooting the blaster. He's so in it. I mean, he, to me, he just sells this movie. I I think Diego Luna's Cassian uh, his particular portrayal of Cassian, that character, is the most irreplaceable part of this movie. A lot of people won't agree with me. These guys are amazing. Jen's amazing. K2, all-time great, you know, CGI character. But I don't think this movie really sells without Cassian because he connects everything from both a personal level and sort of a political level, I guess. Oh, yeah, I don't think I thought he was dead here. They would have to have a final moment. Although, it would sort of be in the spirit of everything going on. I think that that, 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 that sort of fake out there works better because these guys are about to boom. No. Yeah. God, these guys are heroic. I mean, one of the best things you can say about a movie like this is that immediately when the movie's over, people are like, we want a comic book series about these two. We want a K2 casting comic book series. We want books. You know, like people just want more content with these characters because we're just getting to know them and they all die. Now, Gareth Edwards said that he thought there was no way initially that they were going to let them get away with what ultimately happens of killing all the lead characters. But apparently when they sold the rationale... Uh, for it to Kathleen Kennedy and the Disney exec producers. They, they said from that moment on, they were allowed to do completely what they wanted to do, essentially. Which is really impressive. You know. Yeah. So we don't see the ship actually get destroyed, but it does get disabled and Vader boards it. So these guys all get slaughtered and or tortured, I'm assuming. Look at this. Oh my god. Ooh, following the Y-Wings, boom. 
we explain how they get the Y wings uh, in uh, in Rebels. We learn that the Y wings aren't natively uh, Rebels craft; they steal them from the Empire. Yeah, right, and this is something in the games in the '90s, the Tie Fighter games. You could disable ships with with enough like ion torpedoes, you know, or disruptor torpedoes, whatever they're called. <laughs> there go the goggles. This was Animal Rod, now Shrug One. Where are you? It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Riz Ahmed is completely different in every role he plays. It's, it, you know, to be so virtuosically chameleonic, uh, if that's a word, his, his age is uh, is really impressive. This is for you, Galen. There it is. There's all the world building. Yep. He, him and Galen have has established a relationship over a long period of time. It's interesting to think how many months, if not years. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah. All right. I like how I like how Baze knows that that Bodhi was probably in there. He's gonna go down with his brothers. Yeah. I mean, once K two went down, my my theory and my brain was confirmed that it was gonna happen. And the only question was that they were gonna come up with some way for Jin and or Cassian to get to get off. Yeah, this is just rage fighting right here. How does he end up getting taken down? Oh, there's a grenade. Oh, yeah, he like shoots a guy, and the guy's got a grenade. And Death Trooper's starting to get a little sloppy. Yep. Boom. Oh, man. Look at this shot of Bays right here. That's Hollywood people straight out of Apocalypse Now. Look at the fire. Oh. It's really it's sad every single time. The fact that they can sell it in such a, in a single movie, you know. I mean, it, it, let's put it this way: the, the, there could be whole trilogies where they tried to pull this in the third movie, and it wouldn't feel as close. It wouldn't hit as close to home as it does here. All right. So here's the here's the rebel masks and uniforms from A New Hope, perfectly matched. Here's the hammerhead. Oh, this is so cool. Some people didn't like this. I love this. Yes, they, they hit the disabled ship. Now, how the hammerhead doesn't completely blow up is not clear. Yep. And that's the thing. In space, this would work. If it's completely disabled, it's, first of all, it should be getting pulled down to the planet. But it's so it already has some downward and sidewards momentum, you know, lateral momentum. All you need is a little bit of thrust to change the direction, and you have a Death Star, or I should say Star Destroyer sandwich. Boom. Tie Striker. I can't remember where they shot this. This is a really cool location. Okay, so the most controversial shot that they quote-unquote took out or never put in that was in the trailers is coming up. She's going to run down the plank behind her and, and with a gun. And in the trailer, it looks like a giant TIE fighter pops up there, right there. So in the trailer, it's this exact shot head-on with her limping, and then a TIE fighter comes up, which made no sense. Or I thought maybe that's how she was going to die. I don't care. I don't want to see everything in the trailer, people. I just want to get excited with the trailer and get a taste of the characters. I, I, I'm on the opposite side as most people. It doesn't bother me at all. They changed it. Now, if they, if, if they completely change the characters, for example, that would bother me, but not stuff like that. Boom. Oh, man. It really looks like a model. It's amazing. I mean, it, it looks almost like, you know high-grade plastic and styrofoam and, and metal. Look at that. 
That's a beautiful thing. I, I, I'm wondering if the sort of unfinished sound of the Rogue One theme, that's the worst part of the music up here, Cubs, um, is intentional, you know, to make you feel good only for a couple seconds before it gets weird, because that's sort of how the whole movie is. I should have been listening with volume up the whole time. Hopefully this isn't bleeding over. It's been a while since I've done a commentary, honestly. I did so many my first year plus. I've only started, like, ones like I released recently, like Contact and Interstellar. X-Men Days of Future Past I recorded a long time ago. I went on a binge of, of oh, who are you? I love this. She knows who he is. From the, That's where the flashback was important. It all connects. I'm Jin I'm sexy, and I'm dangerous, and you're a fucking fuckhead wanker. My father's revenge. Right, so she can tell him, though, this is the opposite of the, villains, the overly long villain, villain speech. Um, I lose nothing but time. She looks a little Elijah Woody there, uh, with the hair blowing back, like if, when he, when he turns Gollum-y at the end of Return of the King. Yeah, she has sort of a tomboy thing going a little bit with Felicity Jones with certain angles. She kind of looks like Eddie Redmayne to me. She looks like Eddie Redmayne's sister or cousin or something like that. I don't know. If that's just a British thing. Maybe it's just the teeth and the eyes. This is great. You hear a little sound, but it's mostly music. Right. And so this is such a cool point because you think even if they're all going to die, you think it's resolved and it's just going to be sort of wrap up now in terms of the, the unfolding of the final minutes of the plot. I love this. Yeah. She just wants to go kick his ass while he's lying there. Man, look at the, the chemistry between these two is just off the charts. I wonder if they screen tested the two of them together or was cast separately and just hope that two great actors who are attractive, yes, but excellent actors would just get in the spirit of it. I like that she's injured, but he's so injured she has to walk him around. Here we go. Oh, man. We never actually see the Death Star hyperspace in any of the movies. It's interesting. Yep, it gets better. It gets better with watching. This is a Tarkin CGI. I don't know what a hyperspacing Death Star would look like. That's why Starkiller Base makes actually way more sense uh, in uh, The Force Awakens, that it would be on a planet and that it would be the weapon that would be able to go into hyperspace, the energy beam. Yeah, this is where people, I think, were like, why don't they just kiss? Oh, man. He's, does he see it? Yep, he sees the Death Star. His whole life leading to this. Yeah, it actually happened way quicker. I kind of felt like the Death Star was going to come on in, but the speed with which you know, they confront Krennic and then have their little romantic moment, get to the beach and the firing of the thing, it's amazing. So watch how it fires. It's going to go right through the tower, which is what they should have destroyed in the first place. It, they don't even hit it, but it's so powerful that it's going to blow up. Oh, and Radis with great sorrow. What does he say? May the force be with you. 
Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if Radis knows he's dead at this point. God, does that CGI look like the, the, the real costumes of the calamari? Oh, this is amazing. Oh, yeah, Vader, Star Destroyer. They, they hyperspace right into it. Yeah. The Rebel Fleet that's getting destroyed. Everything. The frigates, the calamari cruisers. They're smiling at the end of the world. I love it. Oh, man. I'm about to start crying. <laughs> this is such an epic movie. The thing is, you could have just made this movie. I mean, it would never work without all of the other movies in Backstory, but your father would be proud of you, Jen. Oh. Here's the hand-holding. Yep. Watching the end of the world together. Oh, my God. And they just keep kicking you in the balls. You kill off your main characters. And then the boarding party, oh my god, the theater was like, you could sense how excited the theater was that we were going to see Vader in action. Okay, so this is sweet and sad. Look at Diego Luna, his eyes open up, but looks at the camera at the last minute. I don't know if that was intentional. It's kind of creepy, actually, that he looks. It's almost like he thought they said cut, and you know, they didn't cut yet. Then you're going, Okay. They can't end it right here. Here comes Vader's shuttle. TIE bombers, TIE fighters, old school Imperial shuttle. Lambda class. Okay. They got it. Yes, it's the Death Star plans. Oh, man. This is so cool. I love the relay race here. The, you know, the various handoffs and they get stuck. Oh, my God. Here it comes. This is, ever, I mean, most people say this is their favorite part of the movie. I think it's cheap. You know, you have to earn this. If you just saw this, it would be great. But you really have to earn it after everything we've seen. I think it's cheap to say this is the best part. So your favorite part, that's fine. But we have never, ever seen Vader this insanely badass and violent. Now, they don't even know what they're seeing because, you know, Jedis are, are rumored legends. Oh, man. Now, if you play any of the like the Force Unleashed or any of the Star Wars games, none of which are that great in my opinion, but you can do some, oh my god, you can do some insane stuff with Force powers, and he's doing it all here with the lightsaber and the Force grab, pull, throw, the choke. Oh, they pass it out. Then with the relay race. Oh my god. Just pure slaughter. I mean, really kicking you in the balls. But I remember as soon as... I, I actually had guessed this. Um, I mean, I don't want to like take credit for it, but I guessed that the Corvette... I was picked up that this was going to lead directly to New Hope, and I sort of thought the Corvette might be, might be in there. But glorious nonetheless. And here we go. We've just been getting kicked in the balls for 45 minutes. But... I don't care what you say about the CGI. This is one of the greatest endings to any movie ever. <gasps> no. This looks just like her to me. Look how real those eyes are. Uh, to me, I mean, her face is like porcelain, so it's easier to do than Tarkin, but to me, it's flawless. Looks just like Carrie Fisher. Boom. Oh, man. There you have it, people. They do play the main Star Wars theme to end it. 
Um, I don't really have much more to say. This was actually a hard commentary to do because it doesn't have that sort of giddy excitement and humor that Force Awakens has. And so much of this movie is unspoken, it's subtext, and you either pick up on it or you don't. And maybe pick up on it and it speaks to you, maybe pick up on it doesn't speak to you as much. But I think the ability to make a standalone movie that is chronologically exactly in the middle of all the movies we've seen, but is so tonally distinct and yet completely within continuity and expands, explains continuity, it's just a monumental achievement. Um, I'm not going to say it's more of an achievement than The Force Awakens because I had to reboot what had become a more abundant franchise after the prequels. But taken together, I mean, I think, you know, in the last 16 months with comic books, you've got Deadpool and Logan from Fox and the X-Men rated art movies completely in my opinion, rejuvenating possibilities for doing adult comic book movies. And with the new Star Wars movies, pulling off, you know, a level of Star Wars without Lucas that you, you would not believe possible, especially after the prequels and how long it's been. So congratulations to Gareth Edwards, Kathleen Kennedy, everyone at the studio, Diego Luna, Felicity Jones, the whole cast. Absolutely love it. I hope you guys enjoyed the commentary, and but more so, I hope you enjoyed this movie. It's something I do pick up something new every single time, and not little stuff like an effect, but like like a, a look on someone's face or you know a glance that someone gives. Um, that's real filmmaking to me. You know, I mean, this is a film that happens to be a Star Wars film, but it's an amazing film whether, whether you're a Star Wars fan or not. In my opinion, Industrial Light and Magic. So, may the Force be with you. I'm sure you'll be hearing from me a few months from now in the lead-up to Episode 8. And for now, the bizzle is out.